That is to mm -hmm. say the marketing, the sales, the finance people, even the research and development people have been sent home to work remotely while the production staff is required to come on site because of the you know, requirements for capital uh, equipment and production. And so not only are we seeing a bifurcation by industry type, but within certain companies themselves, you're seeing this bifurcation, which has cre created these social rifts, if you will, mm -hmm. um, in terms of the folks that are more office, front office oriented versus those that are on the production floor. And so that's created enormous cultural challenges for leaders to maintain that cohesiveness and that ethos within an organization itself, um, which is, is really the power of, of uh, what you try to create as a leader. Volatility, uncertainty, complexity, this is the work environment that is our reality. What will leaders need to know to be successful in the future? Who will they need to be to build team member commitment? How will they need to show up to create a motivating environment for their people? Welcome to the Sal Sylvester on the Future of Leadership podcast, a dialogue about how leaders will need to adapt to be successful in a rapidly changing world. And now, please join your host and executive producer, Sal Sylvester, to engage in the conversation about the future of leadership and how to transform people into confident leaders. Hello, my friends, and welcome to season three of Sal Sylvester on the future of leadership. I am Sal Sylvester, your host and founder and CEO of 512 Solutions, an executive coaching and leadership development firm based in Boulder, Colorado. Our mission is to help organizations create healthy, aligned, and more human workplaces. I'm also the founder and CEO of Coachmetrics, a cloud-based tool we developed so that we could prove our results and measure behavioral change in coaching and leadership development. Thanks so much for joining me today to talk about the future of leadership. Season three, if you've been tracking with us, as you know, is all about the bounce back season, entirely focused on resilience. And as we move through the season, we're looking at resilience from some different angles. So our first episode was with Dr. David Palmeter, a professor of psychology and practicing psychologist for over 30 years, gave us an amazing perspective on what it means to be resilient. Jan Jenkins joined us. She's an executive coach on our team. And Jan shared a personal tragedy in her episode and, and how that led her to coach leaders and to create a model around courage. Terry Farnsworth then joined us and she gave us a great executive perspective on resilience. And she shared how connection, community, and the employee journey are all keys to enabling your team to bounce back and emerge stronger. We then released an episode with 15 lessons that we've learned about remote working. And this came from research that we did with our clients and through our experience in the field with thousands of leaders over the last nine months. Today, we wanted to broaden our horizons a bit here as we talk about resilience. So we're bringing in an amazing human being who has experience at the community level. His name is Scott Sternberg. Scott describes his current state as 4.0. I love this. Scott 1.0 included 10 formative years on a university campus as both an undergraduate and graduate student in physics, as well as a short stint as a research associate in neurobiology. In the early 90s, he walked off the campus and joined a VC-backed startup company in the then burgeoning field of high-performance digital imaging. 12 years later, with a successful exit to a large company and many subsequent 
acquisitions and mergers under his belt. His 2.0 phase came to an end. His 3.0 started when he joined a global Finnish company, Vaisala, in the field of weather and industrial instruments and sensors. After a few years abroad, Scott repatriated back to the United States to serve as Vaisala's US subsidiary president, a position that he held for a decade, amazing role there at Vaisala. And after 25 years in the corporate community, Scott is giving back and he recently pivoted to 4.0 and joined the Boulder Chamber of Commerce as the Associate VP of Economic Vitality. And he serves as the Executive Director of the Boulder Economic Council. So that's really why I wanna bring Scott in because in this role he interacts with and he represents the business community in and around Boulder, Colorado. With the impacts the pandemic has had on business of all types, Scott has been exposed to how local leaders have responded to the crisis and how they view leadership in a post-COVID world. So let's go to that broader perspective in an interview with Scott Sternberg now. Scott, welcome to the show. It's good to uh, connect with you today. It's a pleasure to be here, Sal. Thank you. So Scott, I'd love to ask my guests what they're noticing in the world and in the marketplace. I mean, we've been through so much this year. Sometimes I can't tell if 2020 has been like one really long day or if it's been the shortest year of my life, just longest year of my life. I'm just not really sure it's been sort of this time war, but you've got such a unique vantage point as the Associate Vice President of Economic Vitality for the Boulder Chamber of Commerce I'd love to hear about some of the trends you're noticing from your viewpoint. Well, great. Well, um, yeah, you know, it has been a short year or a long year, depending on how you cut it. I remember back in March, I was actually up in uh, Steamboat Springs skiing when the, the last day of the season was announced and we drove away in a very sad uh, moment as uh, there was great snow and unfortunately we couldn't take advantage of it. So, you know, so many of us probably remember where we were on, on around March 13th and yeah, remember it as a long time ago, or uh, maybe just yesterday, depending on your perspective. But, mm -hmm. um, but yes, you know, I worked for many years um, in the corporate environment, and just recently uh, took uh, an opportunity to join the chamber as uh, the vice president of economic vitality. And we define economic vitality as that that ecosystem or that equation where businesses and the general community interact and uh, support each other. And I think one of the things that has been really unbelievable in a way is how this uh, public health crisis has sliced through the economy in ways that afford to this point would never be imaginable. And mm. so, you know, for me, I look at the public health crisis giving rise to a wide range of economic hardship. And as a result of that, you have uh, obviously communities that are now working remotely, both in the remote worker world, as well as uh, learning remotely, um, and also created this concept of social distancing, which is a, a certainly a physical um, uh, manifestation, but you know, also has cultural implications. And so when you look at what has really come to, in many ways, the rescue uh, is just an accelerated uh, rate of digital adoption across the board. You know, the fact that we're talking on a Zoom call right now and, and how mm -hmm. that drives our daily 
uh, work. You, you've just seen an enormous amount of activity and explosion around companies uh, adapting their internal processes uh, towards more digital solutions, but also uh, putting that into accelerated product development to serve what is now an explosion of, of, of digital technology. And it's also then created, due to this social distancing cultural shift, um, a substantial change in the purchasing behavior uh, for all of us. Um, I sit here and look out my window and watch the Amazon and UPS and FedEx trucks come by my little cul-de-sac on a repetitive basis. And it's representative of how uh, we're changing our business environment tremendously, um, but also changing our personal environment. And, you know, as we look over the municipality and the general uh, region that is Boulder, we see small businesses that are challenged, obviously bars and restaurants as a result of the social distancing uh, implementation. Uh, we also see further divisions across the digital divide in certain mm. ethnic um, sectors of our community. But we also see organizations that are struggling to grow in this explosive environment. So you have a wide range of industries that are now faced with the problems that we all love to be faced with in a, in a corporate community, and that is explosive growth. Yeah. And so, you know, you see leadership challenges uh, all the way across the spectrum from folks that are trying to keep their businesses alive and, and thriving, uh, all the way up to how do you take advantage in a logical way um, to uh, take advantage of this thriving marketplace in certain industries. And so challenges across the board, very different depending on, on your industry and your position uh, within the community. Yeah, I've heard the term quite a bit, and certainly in media about this, the K recovery or you know, having these two very different economies that, that we're experiencing today where so many people are suffering and yet so many others are really thriving with that explosive growth that you mentioned. As you talk about, I, you know, I'd love to maybe touch on some of those trends that you mentioned. I certainly want to get to the explosive growth versus the staying alive, but the social distancing concept and part of what we think about quite often in our work is human connection and how that is really at the center of a lot of things on a, in a team environment that, that need to be present to be able to be innovative and to have the discussions that are so critical to moving different ideas forward. In a prior podcast, we talked with Dr. David Palmeter about the importance of connection. It's the number one predictor of long-term mental and physical health. How are, and social distancing is the exact opposite of connection. What are, what are the trends that you're seeing or what are the implications of the social distancing that you're noticing to business? There's an interesting bifurcation um, that's going on. That's a, I think this is the best way to describe this. So mm -hmm. if you're in a manufacturing or a production oriented business, and that's your business, um, you have to have operations on site. And so business leaders are challenged with how do you bring your workforce you know, to the building in, a, in, a, in an environment where we have to keep our workers you know, safe and slash distanced. Um, and so you, you, you have that. So if you're in that industry, if you're making a product, uh, you've been faced with this social distancing challenge in earnest. And so if you're more on the, let's say, like uh, technology side or software as a service or, or IT components, uh, or you're a marketing firm or even a law firm, you know, so on and so forth, then you can send your remote workers home and essentially, you know, interact, you know, digitally. And, but what's, Fascinating is in manufacturing environments, you, you not only get this 
bifurcation by industry, but you're getting bifurcation within your own organizations. That is to say mm-hmm. the marketing, the sales, the finance people, even the research and development people have been sent home to work remotely while the production staff is required to come on site because of the you know, requirements for capital uh, equipment and production. And so not only are we seeing a bifurcation by industry type, but within certain companies themselves, you're seeing this bifurcation, which has created these social rifts, if you will, mm-hmm. um, in terms of the folks that are more office, front office oriented versus those that are on the production floor. And so that's created enormous cultural challenges for leaders to maintain that cohesiveness and that ethos within an organization itself, um, which is, is really the power of, of uh, what you try to create as a leader. Yeah. Scott, we've noticed that that same thing, this unintentional rift that can happen between, we, we've referred to it in the past as just this hybrid environment where people are required to be on site, others required to not be on site. How do leaders have to either change their thinking around this type of uh, environment or what do they need to be doing differently as they move and look forward to 2021? Well, as, as you mentioned, you know, this is a unique position that I have here. It's a wonderful opportunity because we have been conducting as, as part of the chamber's mission uh, to bring together roundtables uh, across mm-hmm. various industries. We've conducted over 30 roundtables that cut across either industries or industry wow. sectors or production. And we've tried to engage over 500 people that, um, you know, all come from all walks of life. And, and the, the first question that we ask them is, you know, what keeps you up at night? Um, and that's really where, you know, you start to see, um, you know, some of these, these perspectives. I would say nobody anticipated um, jumping into this kind of a leadership position. Uh, this is, is something that's never been on anybody's risk management plans, for instance. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, when, you, when you think about the perturbation that we've created in our economy, this is something that you would never model because you would never predict that something would, would shift so dramatically. And so, you know, what we find is that the participation rate on these roundtables are so high because people want to benchmark themselves against others because there is no book on this. Yes. And so the only way that people can really get confidence and affirmation that they're doing the right thing is through interacting with peer groups. Mm-hmm. And so I would say, you know, to answer your question, what are they really what are they really demanding? They're demanding kind of this benchmark and this side-by-side peer-to-peer interactions. And there's many, many um, organizations such as industry associations, industry groups, chamber of commerce, so on and so forth, that have been bringing these individuals together and really having this, this visceral and cathartic conversation about what they're doing. And it's been a great opportunity for me to see this cross-reference of folks that are, are really challenged and um, one individual said to me, is we just weren't prepared for this uncharted demand on leadership. Yeah. And yeah. folks that are stepping up are those that have a very empathetic leadership style that can understand the needs and the wants of their employees in this, in this changing environment. Uh, so well said, Scott. Um, so a couple of things I'd love to explore here. Number one, this concept of no, there's no book on this. And then also uh, the, the empathetic style of leadership. Let's go to the first part first, which is, you know, in the past, when we, when we work in a predictable environment, we can either draw upon experts that have been there, done that, or maybe there's institutional knowledge that we can draw on. But when no one's been through a pandemic before, 
the way that we think as leaders has to change and it often requires us to experiment, learn from that experiment and then pivot. What are you seeing these leaders do or how are they thinking differently as they're going through this no book to draw upon environment? Well, um, you know, one of the questions we, we often ask um, various organizations is what, what would you have wanted to have when this all started? Uh, a lot of them are, say, health and safety officers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Um, you know, in, in large corporations, you know, you typically have that, especially when you're uh, managing a facility. You, you have a facilities manager that is, is OSHA com- you know, aware and compliant. And, and that's usually where a lot of uh, safety regulations sit. So a lot of large organizations had actually been in a pretty good position. Uh, other organizations say, I wish I had a legal team to understand my liability as to how do I bring you know, organizations or, or individuals back and, and how do I minimize uh, or mitigate any kind of liable um, circumstance that might mm-hmm. arise. Um, but you know, when you're in that middle tier or certainly in the lower uh, small business environment, you don't have these specialists that are there. Right. You know? And so you know, trying to, to uh, all of a sudden you're running a small business and you have to be a lawyer, you have to be, you know, a public health official, you have to be a safety officer. You know, these are all of a sudden new things that, you know, no one's been, been trained for. So, you know, reaching out to those expertise group and uh, groups to try to get that kind of resource um, has been a, a real, let's say, popular thread mm-hmm. amongst the middle to, to uh, small business uh, strata. Yeah, that's awesome. So sort of my big takeaway in this conversation is without that playbook, we really have to be thinking about peer group networks, um, being able to reach out to those expert networks that can provide us with some of this insight and learning. What are some of those networks that are available to small, medium businesses that may not have those specialists in-house? I know you mentioned certainly groups like the chamber, Boulder chamber, what, what else should leaders look to tap into? Um, well, there are, uh, I would say just in, in any municipality and certainly at the state level, there's a, a wide range of industry associations. Mm-hmm. So these are just naming a couple here in Colorado. There's the Colorado clean tech industry association, Colorado biosciences Ind- industry association, so on and so forth. Um, you know, so these are organizations that are membership driven, um, to provide that collective cohesion, because not only are you looking for peers, let's say at a leadership to leadership level, but if you're a biosciences company, you want to also talk to other bioscience companies. If you're an aerospace company, you want to talk to other aerospace companies uh, to ensure that they're doing, because you're, you're all kind of in that same pot, if you will, yeah. and you might be experiencing um, the pandemic or the economic downturn in a similar way. Mm-hmm. So your solutions uh, might be similar. Um, there are also other organizations that um, um, uh, congregate around just manufacturing organizations uh, writ mm-hmm. large um, yeah. because they share. So there's there's a, a number of industry organizations that uh, exist around people who build things and have production facilities in certain locales. And you can reach out you know, to those organizations as well. Um, and then, you know, I, I think you can't underestimate the power of being a member of a chamber of commerce. Um, it's just so important to be able to look at your local, um, let's say, peer group 
first and right. foremost. And I think that, you know, another trend that, that we're certainly seeing is this, you could call it deglobalization towards a more local perspective. Mm. So, you know, large organizations are trying to mitigate their supply chains and, and, and ensure that they're creating resilience around, um, you know, their supply chains and their, their critical paths as they flow both talent and products and services in and out of their organizations. But certainly all of us on a personal level are looking more locally. And I think given the circumstances now, what's going around the country in terms of the restrictions that are being implemented, certainly not at the federal level, and in some cases broadly at the state level, but the public health guidance is being issued at the county level and in some cases hmm. at the municipal levels. And so being tied into a local chamber of commerce, for instance, uh, or a local you know, business group really can allow you to get access to actionable and uh, single point um, or, or single authoritative information yeah. in terms of what the public health restrictions are. Because if you can only operate at 50, 25, 10% occupancy rate as a bar or restaurant, you need to know how to manage that going forward. And that often is a moving target. That's only gonna come from you know, that local information chain. Yeah, really, really helpful. Are you interested in getting personally aligned in the new year, in creating an intentional life at work and at home? Then check out our ultimate goal setting guide. We created this guide years ago and have continued to update and improve this tool so that you can be the architect of a life on purpose and with intention. You can find a link to the ultimate goal setting guide in the podcast section of our website in this episode's session notes. So go check it out and start the year with intention. We've done some research on resilience over the last several years, and we came across an article from Boston Consulting Group that was published in 2018. And part of what they said was the next downturn is likely to be accompanied by very high uncertainty across a number of dimensions. And in order to perform well in unpredictable conditions, leaders have to build resilience in their businesses. And some of the things that they talked about were continuously re-examining a wide range of possible future scenarios. Number two, mentioning uh, maintaining financial reserves. Number three, championing diversity and inclusion to boost innovation, and then building, uh, developing best-in-class organizational change capabilities, embracing an always-on transformation mindset. But yeah, interesting that you know we've gone to being such a global mindset with our businesses, but to mitigate some of the rest, uh, some of the risk, we've got to start also thinking locally. Yeah, that, that, you know, just a, a couple of comments on that. Um, if you're not dusting off your strategic plan right now, then you're yeah. behind. You know, I think mm -hmm. that uh, what this has been is a wake up call all the way up to the mission, vision values that typically uh, organizations discuss. And, you know, from a values perspective, understanding nothing has tested the values that an organization yeah. puts on its wall more than what has gone on in the last nine months or so. Yes. Um, this has been a true measure of what do companies truly believe? And I, I think a lot of times companies go through the values conversation and, you know, get to the point where they can put it on a wall or a nice sticker or a nice tchotchke that sits on everyone's desks. But this is where they're tested. You know, mm. I mean, is it, are they really employee centric? Are they really customer centric? Are they really environmentally centric? You know, so on and so forth. This is where your values have been tested in earnest. 
And uh, I think that, uh, you know, as an organization, not only dusting off your strategic plan and your resiliency, your financial reserves, you know, your, your product mix, for instance, and, and how vulnerable you may or may be on your supply chain. Yeah, those are all great things. But testing the core of your organization in terms of who you are, where you want to go and how you uh, act, that's what's being tested in earnest. And that's what senior leadership, you know, that's the role of senior leadership is to guide the organization through those conversations. Again, so well said. Values are easy to live by when everything's going great. You know, the economy's doing well and business is good and employees are healthy. But when things get tough, it is a true test for do we really stand for and believe in what is on that poster that's on the conference room wall? What should we be considering or what should businesses be considering when it comes to strategic planning? Either has, has the process changed or should it change in 2021? Are there new considerations for the strategic planning process? What's your take related to anything strategic planning related? I think that, you know, first and foremost, what I've been thinking about, and I've heard this from a lot of leaders, is we used to define productivity this way. And now we're faced with trying to understand, are we more or less productive in a completely, you know, all, all out change in our organizational operating modes. Right? And so, you know, certain organizations might report, yes, you know, we've sent all of our workers home and oh my God, all of a sudden we're 10% more productive than we were before. Yeah. And so, so the next question is, well, do you think that's a, a longstanding solution to your point earlier? You know, we are human beings that rely on social interaction and we get a lot of, uh, stimulation, motivation, inspiration from being around people and certainly in a business mm -hmm. environment. It's the water cooler, coffee urn, yes. you know, happy hour, conference room uh, type of uh, what, what I call uh, creative collisions um, that, uh, you know, bring that inspiration and perhaps, you know, some innovation to, to these organizations. Is that occurring? You, you technically can be more productive, but are you getting a short-term productivity boost and really, you know, not necessarily getting those long-term innovation, creative thoughts that ultimately will create value in a three to five year period. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really where um, leaders need to focus as to, are we, are we, we you know, doing well in the short term, but we're giving up the long-term view and what is the impact you know, on that? I would also say that this observation about moving, I have a, 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 a phrase that I use that, that somehow we've moved from a work-life balance process, i.e. you get in your car, you drive to work, maybe you leave at lunchtime, you come home at five, you know, there are barriers or there were barriers between your work and your life. Yeah. And we call that work-life balance. And we talk about that, you know, culturally within organizations. Now it's about getting up at 5 a.m. and going to bed at 11. And you've integrated your work and your life throughout that, especially if you have children at home that you're now homeschooling mm -hmm. or managing, you know, their education system your whole work-life balance is out of balance, right? Yes. You're integrating your work and your life going forward. And a question is, is that a healthier model for individuals and for organizations? Or will companies start to, you know, flip back to the way they were? We've already seen organizations, especially in the tech um, world, where they have indicated that they're permanently sending their employees home um, because they can now access talent anywhere around the world. So mm -hmm. this idea of having a brick and mortar office building where everyone comes to every day may or may not be 
the, the MO of a certain organization. And it opens up a, a lot of opportunities to bring in people from around the world and not necessarily um, require them to live on, on site or in their locality, which has huge ramifications for economic developers uh, around, yes. you know, around the world in terms of trying to understand the impacts on commercial and real estate, you know, property values and availability and space mm -hmm. and just the general economy that businesses bring uh, through bars and restaurants and hotel stays and things of that nature. So, um, you know, in my position, it's a, it's a real concern as to how organizations are going to shift permanently towards this remote work, remote mm -hmm. learning you know, type of modality and the impacts that it has on, on certain municipalities. Scott, I, I got to tell you, the, you're spot on with the whole work-life balance versus integration. I have a serious concern about the well-being, just how people are doing today. I, I don't think any time in my career, at least as an executive coach, that I have seen the level of weariness, exhaustion, the relentless pace. I just, I don't know how it is sustainable. What's your take on that? Well, I have a unique experience. Um, mm -hmm. as, as you probably know, I've worked in a corporate world for 25 years. I've onboarded at, at very high levels, by the way, for yeah. <laughs> folks that are listening to this um, podcast. And you know, I've onboarded, you know, like countless people. You know, brought them into the organization. Um, you know, I used to love meeting a person that was coming in for their first day of work, and I would spend time, fifteen minutes, in the lobby with them as they first came in, just to introduce myself and say, "Welcome on board," because that first impression, wow. walking into an organization and being felt. Uh, you know, feeling like you're part of the organization, you know, across the board is, is a huge motivating factor for that, for that first day. Um, That's incredible, I came Scott. into this room uh, or I came into this role uh, over three months ago now uh, in a two-dimensional world. <laughs> and so in a position also that is highly uh, network oriented and um, you know, handshake oriented, if you will, right? I mean, trying to get around and interact with the businesses and represent the businesses as the work that the chamber does, that's a very person to person type of uh, role. And so bringing, uh, coming on board in a two dimensional world here has been a fascinating experience for me. And I say, you know, what is the third dimension? It's depth. Right. Mm. Both both figuratively and literally. So, you know, I'm, I'm missing that depth that you normally get yes. around the water cooler or with a beer in your hand or a cup of coffee or at lunch or dinner or what have you. And I think that's where, you know, there's a there's a huge you know, concern um, when it comes to this mental health. For yes. Me, I need to see people. I need to talk to people. I love being around people. Certainly not, not all people are like me, but I think generally this forced social distancing aspect is having a lot of isolation related issues. Mm -hmm. And one of the latent issues that it, it perhaps is not as latent as, as it was, but we are seeing increases in the demand in the mental health industry. And so, you know, people are living closer together. People are confined. People are feeling isolated. And it is a major concern. And I think that that speaks to my point earlier that companies can claim to be more productive now. But is that a short term gain, given perhaps this, you know, latent mental health condition that's, uh, you know, growing uh, mm -hmm. underneath all of these produ productivity equations? And uh, but I would say the good news is that there are you know, most organizations uh, have EAP programs, you know, yes. employee assistant programs, their healthcare systems are set up. These are, again, things that in good times, 
you don't even remember are there, but these are the individuals now that are very much tasked to ensure that these um, these programs and these employee bases are, are coming on. And it's putting a huge constraint on the HR related organizations within companies because that's normally where those kinds of resources sit. Yeah. Scott, I wonder, and just one final question, and we'll wrap up, but you mentioned earlier, you're seeing this trend that has gained traction around empathetic leadership. And I, I wonder if there's a connection here between that need for more empathy in leadership and the concerns and the mental health issues and, and things that are happening. What's your take on the whole empathetic leadership point of view? Well, maybe maybe contrasting that to what we used to talk about, right? The ivory tower effect where yes. know, presidents or the CEOs used to sit in their uh, ivory towers and not necessarily walk around and, and meet the individuals that are in their employee and what have you, you know, that's, I, I would say somewhat of a medieval approach to management these days. Um, but I would say not everybody is in that spirit of walking around and understanding and truly listening to the the conversations that are coming from their HR managers, from their, um, you know, various middle, middle level managers and so on, and trying to understand what are the demands on the employees? Do you have multiple children at home that you're trying to wrangle into a classroom remotely whilst also being productive <laughs> on Zoom calls with your peers or customers, you know, and th that's a very empathetic view. You know, fortunately, this has hit us all across the board. So we all have experience with that. We're all inviting everybody into our living rooms or our bedrooms or um, where have you in our basements to, to conduct business. So there's a level of acceptance that's there. Yes. Um, but, um, you know, this idea of being able to really execute programs or activate programs like EAP, like sharing personal experiences, like understanding, you know, and, and being flexible and agile with um, your workforce, I think has really come across as being the important element of leadership in, in this day and age. Hmm. Scott, thank you so much for being on the show. I know our listeners have gotten a ton of value from your experience and your perspective. And for organizations that are here in the Boulder, Colorado area, and you're not part of the chamber, take a look at it. It's, it's obviously a, a really important component of building resilience within your organization. Scott, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you, Sal. Pleasure. Enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Sal Sylvester on the Future of Leadership podcast. You can get session notes on our website at 512solutions.com. That's the numbers 512solutions.com. Please follow and like the podcast on iTunes or wherever you're tuning in. And if you want to learn more about how we can help transform your people into confident and action-oriented leaders, please check out our website at 512solutions.com. I look forward to continuing the conversation about the future of leadership. I'm out.